Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all this morning. Did everybody do okay with the time change? Oh man, that was a, that was a majority no, my friends. So hope you are ready to dive into God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. You might figure out as we get going here that I'm not moving as fast as I should be uh, in the next half hour. I want to uh, warn, well, assure you and also invite you to come back next Sunday. Well, we're going to spend two whole weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer together. There's a lot going on in this prayer uh, from Jesus. He's teaching us many things, uh, but I thought today... It might be really good just to begin our time together in prayer. The best way to get better at prayer is just to pray. Would you agree with me? The best way to get better at praying is to pray, pray, pray. So we're going to pray together. Specifically, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, I believe this is one of the reasons we sing songs together. We put lyrics up on the screen uh, so that we can have common language. When we have common language We proclaim the same truths going forward into our city, into our community, into our workplaces and schools. That's why we have common language in this space. So we're going to pray, and I invite you to not recite this prayer, but to pray it with me. Uh, It might be the first time in a while that we pray this out loud, boldly, together. So would you join me in doing that? We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer for the next couple weeks. And uh, I'll tell you a uh, quick little thing about me is the fact that I love to ski. I've mentioned this before, but I'm a mountain person. I love traveling out to Colorado to see the mountains. Uh, We used to do this every spring break growing up. And there would be a moment driving across Kansas and driving across Colorado when you would look onto the horizon and eventually the mountains would start to poke through the horizon. It was a joyous moment because you've been driving for like 12 hours at this point, And finally you see, uh, it's called Pike's Peak to be specific. Pike's Peak starts to poke through and you can see it. By the time that mountain is in full view, uh, from left to right, the whole horizon is just mountains. It's a joyous moment that I'm looking forward to on this drive. We've sacrificed time. We've sacrificed money to make sure we can be at the mountains for just a few days, like a week at tops. And we sacrifice a lot just to go and experience their beauty for a little bit. On the flip side, I have a cousin. She lives in downtown Denver, Colorado with her husband and in an apartment in a high rise in downtown. Every day she gets up, looks out her window and sees the same mountain that she saw the day before that and the day before that and the days, the weeks, the months and a couple years before that. The same mountain. By now, she has it memorized. She knows what it looks like without even having to look out the window. And uh, it has become not so much to me. To me, it's this beautiful scenery. I'm going to go and travel and to see it. To her, it has just become the backdrop to her life. I think sometimes the Lord's Prayer can become this to us. 
something that we, we know, we've experienced it. We've probably said it thousands of times. We, we have it memorized to the point that it has become regular, has become even trivial or habitual. So I think when Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he is teaching us, man, don't let it become something trivial. Don't let prayer become something out of habit, something that is regular. But I think if we're going to get to the real heart behind this prayer, we need to ask an additional question, which is, at what point did our view of God become something trivial or regular or even habitual? What point did God, our view of God, when did that lose its beauty? So I think the Sermon on the Mount does a couple things. Jesus is brilliant. He teaches us how to pray, but uh, within that, he is revealing a lot to us about how we should approach and interact with God. So the first phrase, we're going to throw it up there, is our Father in heaven. Some of you may have gotten some kind of tension when I didn't say the word art. Now, uh, you know, um, our God who art in heaven. Some of you might have had a little tension there. I want to encourage you, take that tension and transport it back into the text because it is very important. But one thing I will say very soon, we actually talked about this last week, uh, is that prayer breaks our self-reliance, right? It breaks our self-reliance and it destroys our own self-promotion. It puts us in a position to ask, but ultimately it also helps us not that we don't have to uh, word our prayers to be super wordy or super beautiful, right? God looks at the heart. So I want to remind you uh, of this today, and we're looking at our Father in heaven. Our God is a personal God, yes? Thankfully, our God is a personal God. So the word Father, when referring to God, was virtually never used in the Old Testament, Fourteen times, one commentary said, it was used in the Old Testament. And that was mostly in reference to how God was the father over a nation. He's the father over the people of Israel. So it's not a personal sense. It's not a personal fatherhood. Uh, it is a, over a nation. Only 14 times. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he, uh, he turns the tables in more ways than one. He shows up and he brings God closer than ever before. He brings God so close that he calls him Father. So in the Jewish religion, the name Jehovah was actually made so that people can avoid saying God's name because it was too holy, too sacred, and they don't want to be saying his name in vain, in sin. So they, they call him Jehovah, which evokes God's majesty, his cosmic supremacy, so they made up this, this name. They would never refer to God as Father. Never, ever refer to God as Father. That is too personal. It's too close. So Jesus comes on, and in the four Gospels, he refers to God as Father 189 times. Do you think that Jesus is trying to teach us something there? I believe so. He's trying to teach us something very important. The way that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray is truthfully, it's revolutionary. It is revolutionary. It is crazy. It is unheard of. He uses the word father, Abba, dad, daddy. So he's using the same word that the people, the kids around him would be using to get their own dad's attention. Or... 
a more personal sense, Jesus is using the same word that he would use to get his earthly dad's attention, Joseph. Uh, Oh, the humility behind Joseph the carpenter, who gets the opportunity to raise Jesus while knowing who he is, knowing the actual weight behind who Christ's father actually is. The humility of Joseph is a whole sermon in itself, I think. But I think Jesus is showing us clearly that, that God and how he relates to us is not this kind of cosmic uh, force that we have to somehow reach to. It is rather a father with his arm around his child, Always there, always by his side. I wonder when you pray, or when you, what you envision, or you experience, uh, are you thinking, God, I've got to break through the ceiling, I've got to punch through the, cra- the clouds so that I can maybe get to your ear. Maybe God will hear my cry. I don't know, though. This request is really big. It's really big. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if God can handle it. Or is it this? Is it a family relationship? There is a huge difference. So Jesus is calling us to a uh, family relationship here. Um, you know, in, in my family, I grew up with a, uh, with a twin brother, but I also had the privilege of growing up with my own father. I know that for some people, when you think of the word father, it doesn't trigger memories uh, that might be warm. It doesn't trigger pleasant memories. Here's what I'll say to that. For those of us who had a father who we have great memories of, God is every, every aspect of your earthly father and so much more, and he is perfect. On the other side, for those who don't have such a warm feeling when you think of your dad, don't have great uh, memories, God is the perfect version. He is your perfect father, um, and he will be by your side if you are his child. And that's one thing I want to point out, is that if God is our father, we are his Children, And isn't that a great miracle? Isn't that a great blessing? So there's a story of a Roman emperor who is, uh, he, he won a whole a huge battle for Rome, the empire of Rome. And he's doing, coming home and they throw him a huge parade, right? He's going to go and travel through the streets of Rome. Uh, they're going to throw a huge parade. So as he goes by, you got to praise him. The whole army with him on his big chariot, you got to praise him, praise him, praise him. So they're doing this parade. And the emperor, he turns the last corner on his way to the palace. And this little boy, the son of the emperor, comes running down the middle of the street, weaving through the whole army until finally a couple soldiers say, stop, 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 stop. You can't go any further. Don't you know who that is? That's the emperor. You, you can't, nobody gets close to him. This little boy takes a step back and looks those guys up, up and down and said, he may be your emperor, but he's my daddy. In the same way, when we pray to God, what kind of a relationship do we have with him? Is it this like business relationship, transactional relationship, or is it a family relationship? To the soldier that this little boy is talking to, the emperor is like this untouchable God saying, I I am not going, if I'm talking to the emperor, it's probably bad news. But for the little boy, he's going to have a much deeper interaction with the emperor because he has a much deeper basis. And I think in order to have a deeper interaction with God, we need a deeper basis with him. 
So I'll use this example. If you've been here for at least a little, little bit, you know about our church family that we take adoption and foster care very seriously here. It's very much a part of our DNA. So when a set of parents, new parents, they adopt a child and they come into their home for the first time, day one, thankfully, that child is not under the expectation that, that they have to behave perfectly, that they have to live and you know, adopt the whole family's um, practices, habits, and mannerisms. They don't have to act like they have been part of the family for years and years and years. They don't have that expectation because that would be unfair against that child. It would be illogical. Adoption, and so many of you in this uh, room understand this, adoption, it does not bring immediate behavior change, but it does bring immediate status change. That child is now legally bound to these new parents who have made an oath saying, we are going to take care of this child as if they were our own flesh and blood. It's a huge picture of the gospel and a huge picture of what it looks like, what is happening with God. So in order to have a deeper interaction with God, we need a deeper basis with him. And I think the key to having this deeper basis with God is to understand how high of a status you have before him. You are his child. He has adopted you. He has grafted you into his family. We don't have to live a life of performance. In the same way of this child, his acceptance in that new family is not based on his performance. It is completely based on the sacrifice of those new parents. Not anything the child has done, everything that his mother and father have done. Isn't that a picture of what God has done for us? It is a miracle. It's miraculous that God has adopted us into his family. Uh, This reminds me of a time I was hanging out with some people uh, back in college, way back in college, which was like two years ago. That was a joke. Um, (laughs) um, So we're just, uh, we're in downtown Oklahoma City. I don't know if you know, but Sonic is a huge deal in Oklahoma. That's where it started And that's just where people were. It's a very big, big deal. So we were hanging out at Sonic. I think I had a cherry slushie because I'm a simple person and uh, basic. So I'm I'm drinking this slushie with all my friends. And we see these guys making their rounds around this crowd. Uh, There's a bunch of people there. And they are dressed like insurance agents. They have khakis and red polos on. So I'm preparing myself because I know that they're coming. They're going to come and they're going to sit down in front of me and try to have a conversation. So I'm preparing myself. I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm 17, 18 years old. I don't need life insurance. I don't need life, Jared, I don't need life insurance. That's what I'm thinking in my brain. So they come, the guy sits down, literally has a State Farm polo. I'm like, no thanks, Jake, from State Farm. Like, I, I don't need, I don't need this. So he sits there and he asks me a very unexpected question. He says, do you know Jesus? And my brain is going crazy. Like, oh man, I've never been asked this before. This is awesome. Yes, I say. Yes, I do. And then he says, are you sure? And, uh, and then he's, uh, he proceeds to interrogate me on whether or not I'm saved. And um, man, and it was a long, it was probably like a seven or eight minute conversation of him asking, but how do you know? But are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Continuously, continuously. And here's what we, we all left because all of us had the opportunity to have this very odd, weird conversation. We all left fairly angry. 
because there is no answer that is good enough for that question. Like, how long does the list have to be before I can stop trying to say, this is why God has adopted me? There is nothing I can do to explain why God has chosen to adopt me into his family. So listen, church, if your relationship with God is something that you can just explain away based off a list of things you have done, based off, okay, here's my attendance for church, or here it's tax season, here is my uh, giving statement to the church. Man, if your relationship with God is something that you can just explain away based on what you have done, I implore you, find a higher view of the grace of God, because there is absolutely nothing that we can do in order to fully explain why God has chosen to adopt us. It is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle that we can call him Father and that he would even choose to hear us, respond to us, and accept us. And because he has accepted us, we offer him praise. So let's, let's move on to the next phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Don't forget that God is personal. But God is also holy. He's hallowed. He is cosmic. He is uh, mad, majestic. We cannot forget that. I think something that has happened in the, in the modern church is we have emphasized so much that God is personal, that God is um, relational. And that is so true. And I'm so thankful for that. But we cannot forget that God is still Holy, And we have seen people leave the church and walk away from the Lord because they cannot get this grasp that the God that is so relational at heart is also just and also righteous and sinless. And that's what he's calling us to. So rather than having people walk away from the faith because of this, it should show us, man, this is how far God was willing to go in order to bring salvation from his complete holiness, perfection, into our own sinful mess, into our own lives. It should cause um, praise, and it should push us towards praise. And our acceptance by God naturally should push us towards praise, towards worship, towards adoration. So, when we pray, remember Jesus is teaching us to pray. He's modeling this for us. When we pray, Jesus is teaching us, to remember who we're talking to. This is God. This is our Father, and He is worthy of all of our praise. I want to read a portion of Psalm 145 uh, to you. It says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The name of God is so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our adoration. It should drive us towards that. So, really, practically, what are we praying here? We are praying that the name of God would be treasured above our own name. That we would treasure the things of God and treasure the presence of God above all else. That God's worth would supersede our own. Right? That God's word would supersede our own and break our own self-promotion. Notice something that Jesus, he never uses a personal pronoun in this prayer. He never says I. He never says me. He never says, God, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. Or um, give me this or give me that. It is all your will be done. Your kingdom come. Lord, you, what would you do this? Jesus is showing us humility in 
prayer. Because when, when, we, when we hallow God's name, when we exalt God in our prayers and in our lives, it infuses within us humility. It infuses within us surrender. A humility that acknowledges God's perfection and acknowledges our need for him. Church family, we need God, right? We need God. This is what it means to hallow God's name. It breaks self-promotion and it exalts his glory. So uh, what are some steps we can take uh, to hallow God's name in our lives? I'll just mention two. This is in no way an exhaustive list, but I'll mention uh, two. Number one, avoid taking God's name in vain. Do not profane the name of God with your words. Listen, your witness is so, so crucial. It's so crucial, but it is so fragile. Uh, we have seen this in the church and the Christian community, unfortunately, in the last year, about how reputations and witnesses can just shatter at the drop of a pin, unfortunately. And that is a sad thing when that happens. But our witness is so crucial. We have to uh, protect it. I'm thinking in an evangelistic sense, we have, to, uh, we have to hallow the name of God because for the people who are watching us, and we are being watched as believers, for the people in your life who do not know Jesus or are even searching for Christ, the very last thing that they need to see from us is us taking Jesus' name, who we say that we adore, who we say that we love, and attaching it to the words that they hear every single day that are used to describe terrible, terrible things, or even in some cases unspeakable things. The church doesn't need to be, uh, the church has to answer for that. And we shouldn't have to put put those hoops and put those uh, bumps in the road in front of people who are just searching for Christ. So guard your tongue. It is so powerful and so crucial. Next, live your life. And this is a big one. But live your life in such a way that when people meet you, when people interact with you, God can only get the credit. Something is so different about us. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. He is calling us to live different. He's calling us to live differently. Is your life marked by such devotion today that when somebody meets you, after you leave, do they thirst for God? Do they have a desire to know what the deal is with you? Do we leave people with a thirst for God? If we hallow God in our life, if we lift up his name, exalt God with our life, with our actions, I think that's going to translate into our prayers because we have a higher view of who he is, who he is to us and what he has done for us. So, exalting God with our life means something. So let's move on to verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Emphasis on the your, two yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Exalting God with our life means that our life's plan, our agenda dissolves and absorbs God. It becomes God's agenda. Um, I want to put kind of a practical uh, application for this to sort of help. When we pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done before ours, what we are saying is this, that the kingdom of God comes before my own comfort. It comes before my security. It comes before my uh, safety. It comes before my success. A big one is timetable. Uh, I, I have 
I have seen God work in my life in such a way that my like five-year plan or three-year plan or two-year plan uh, can just be shattered because God had other plans. I'm thankful for that. But are you willing to take your five-year plan or your 10-year plan or your retirement schedule and sacrifice that so that God can use you for something eternal? That's your timetable. Uh, happiness. Will Smith's movie, Pursuit of Happiness, is one of my favorites. It's a great movie, uh, but also shows us the pursuit of happiness uh, is, is often things that don't really deserve such uh, effort and such time. He sacrifices a lot in the pursuit of happiness. I wonder, are you willing today, praying your kingdom come, praying your will be done, are you willing to sacrifice your happiness for your sanctification? For your growth in Christ, are you willing to sacrifice pleasure for the sake of God and for his will in your life? So really think about that. Are you sure that you want to pray that today? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my own, not my family's, but God's. Uh, Psalm 37.4, one of my favorites says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The key to that verse is in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. When we des- delight in the Lord and we uh, put his kingdom first, our needs and our wants, yes, they are valid. God wants to hear them. He wants to hear our prayers, and he wants to respond to them. But the truth is, when we delight in the Lord, Uh, Our needs and our wants become secondary to the will of God, to the kingdom of God flooding and invading into our world because we get to participate in that. We get to participate in the coming of the kingdom. And God's will is done joyfully and completely. Uh, That's one thing that we will mention, that God's will is done joyfully and completely because when we delight in the Lord... It brings joy. It brings, it brings a joy that we cannot be manufactured. It cannot be faked because we're participating in such a, a kingdom work. And then completely because we have the assurance of the coming kingdom of heaven. We have the assurance of the coming kingdom of heaven. And that's what ultimately, that's what we are praying for, right? We are praying That Jesus would come into our world and invade. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. We are praying that Jesus would come and change things in our world. That he would transform us personally and that he would use us uh, to help other people to see him and push them towards repentance and discipleship. So we're praying that Jesus would come back, that he would restore things, that he would make things Whole. That's what we are praying in this. Um, you probably heard last weekend on Thursday, uh, we lost the great evangelist Luis Palau. Uh, preached the gospel to millions and millions and millions of people. Very, very influential. I, I grew up hearing his voice on the radio. One of those voices I can just know. Um, so he, he passed away after a three-year battle with lung cancer. I came across a picture of some of his sermon notes from a sermon he had on heaven. And it was astounding to read through those notes. But at the very bottom, there was one thing that really, really stuck out to me. Uh, it, and it was, it was this. I'll read it so I don't mess it up. It said, uh, the assurance of heaven is a glorious reality. Don't downplay it. The assurance of heaven is a glorious reality. Don't downplay it. Church family, we have needs. We have desires. 
God wants to hear those. He is our Father. He is ready and able to hear those, to respond to those, and to help us in our time of needs. But ultimately, what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer is that His will would be done, not our own. And ultimately, we're praying that Jesus would bring heaven a little bit closer and a little bit closer. That's what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is very much God-centered. What is our view of God? Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the second half, which is very much because of our view of God, this is how we live our life. This is how we pray, and this is the thing that he has done for us. We're going to move in that direction. But before we we do, uh, let's take a moment of prayer together, and then we'll get right back. Um, And we're going to sing some songs and we'll be uh, sent into our week. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the things that you teach us in the Lord's Prayer. Father, I pray that we would adore you over all things, Father. Would we um, acknowledge your presence in our lives in such a way uh, that pushes us towards worship, pushes us towards uh, never-ending praise, Lord. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for adopting us, Lord. And we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done. Use us to spread your kingdom. Use us to uh, show your love, to spread your grace to the people around us. And Lord, we pray that we would always fit inside your will. Help us to delight in you. And Lord, uh, just push us towards repentance. Push us towards doing the difficult things. Push us towards forgiveness. And Father, as we worship, as we reflect on what you're teaching us, I pray that you would meet us in this space. So Father, thank you for this prayer. I pray these things in the name of Jesus.